Welcome to Crime Over Wine Weekly. It's Sunday, February 18th. I'm Heather Holly, and here are your crime headlines. The parents of the OnlyFans model charged with murdering her boyfriend were arraigned in Miami this week. Courtney Clinty is accused of stabbing her boyfriend, Christian Obselli, to death in 2022. Now her parents, Kim and Deborah Clinty, are both charged with unauthorized access to a computer. According to arrest warrants, detectives recovered text messages between the couple and their daughter's attorney discussing the laptop and possible passwords. The defense says these charges are an attempt to, quote, bully the Clinties since there are witnesses in their daughter's case. In new court documents, Brian Landry's parents share new details about, quote, the day everything hit the fan. Christopher and Liberta Landry reveal Brian called them August 29, 2021. It was about three weeks before Gabby Petito's body was found. Roberta says Brian's tone completely changed, but she didn't want to push it, so they said goodbye. Roberta urged her husband to call their son back to check on him, so he did. Christopher says Brian was frantic when he answered, repeatedly saying Gabby's gone and he may need help. Christopher claims he never thought Brian killed Gabby. The Petito's family emotional distress lawsuit is expected to go to trial this May. Michelle Traconis' trial resumed Wednesday. She's the woman charged with conspiracy to commit murder and the disappearance of Jennifer Doulos a Connecticut mother presumed dead after vanishing in 2019. This week, the jury heard testimony about the Dulos custody agreement and the case hit a snag Friday morning. The court had to investigate claims that Michelle had a sealed document on her computer screen during testimony that the public and news crews could see. She'll now face a contempt hearing, but this case will go on first. And this week on Crime Over Wine Weekly, brutal moments captured on tape. The video jurors watched this week in the memory card murderer case and the comment Brian Smith made during an interrogation that led to his arrest. Plus, a mother of four vanishes in Texas, why her family says the key evidence in her disappearance doesn't add up. But first, we have to pop the corks on this week's wine and catch up with Liam and Michelle in the crime vineyard. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello, everybody. I so first of all, can we just talk about so um we have had two very, very successful episodes. Um obviously, I mean it's three of us. What would anyone else expect? Um but I but I can we can we just talk about how how this how this has gone? Like I'm very, very proud of of the progress we've made even in the last couple of weeks. I feel like <laughs> just being a part of it, I feel even more connected into this true crime world even before like you know because i'm looking for things that i find interesting and want to bring out into the world and like learn more and then also you guys are doing the same but you guys are picking up on things that i never picked up on so it's Mm. like it's like trifold you know it's just it's super neat and i really have had a lot of fun with it it's been a, a fun little journey so far and um I feel like I'm the straggler in the group, like, because y'all are used to reporting and writing. So, like, this is a bit different for me. Um, And I'm sorry I'm not good on social media yet. I'll try. I'm promising. (laughs) I'll get there. We're we're getting there. That's a cute. That's a cute little plug. Um, go follow Michelle um, and Heather um, at um, all their social media pages. Michelle Crime Over Wine, Heather Crime Over Wine, um, because we like we're we're gonna get there. We are gonna get there. Um, I'm we're all learning, right, 100. percent But I do think that um, you know the one of the big feedback you know pieces of feedback that I've gotten since you know since this has launched is just how like great it is to you know first of all be able to keep tabs in all these cases and like you know in a, in a way that like we like we all know how to do right because that's what we do on a regular basis and in, in our you know full-time jobs um or have done you know some of us have retired <laughs> and so um but then also to like all the different like we're talking about all these different cases right like because like on crime over wine right like get one case that you know and you dive deep into all this stuff this is stuff that's playing out right now and you need just like the and you really need like 
all you really need is the highlights, right? To just to kind of like, you know, in a lot of these cases, like we're leaving stuff out intentionally, but like, you know, just because we don't have time for it, but, um, but you, but really in order to do, you know, the best amount of good in cases that are getting headlines right now is all you really need to know is, is just the basics and, and really just kind of scratch the surface. And then if you want to, you can, you can dive a little bit deeper on your own. So with that being said, um, to, um, we have some wine to talk about. Get ready. Get ready. This week <laughs> we are sipping on Golden Winery's Pinot Noir. They describe the flavor as ripe cherries, strawberry preserves, floral notes of roses, earthiness, and a touch of oak. There's a great balance of fruit and oak on the palate that resembles cherry pie. And there's also a light, refreshing quality of watermelon on the finish. Richness on the mid-palate is enhanced by floral notes indicative of Monterey. The smooth finish and bright acid begs to be enjoyed with food. Oh, good. Let me go get my snacks then. One second. Um, on that note. <laughs> um, so th- I don't think wine goes with um, with wheat thins, but we're going to make it go with wheat thins this week. But wheat thins um, go with cheese and cheese goes with wine. We're we're like really a step away. We're really a step away. I got the cheese right here. What we're talking about. Yeah, we can share. Yeah. We can share. from. <laughs> um, but but I will say, so sipping on it. So you, you mentioned cherry pie. I definitely get cher- like cherry, like right there, right on the, on the, on the, you know, in the middle part of the, of the sip for sure. <laughs> And then floral notes, earthiness, that all is there as well. Um, it's a diff, it's a bit of a different, um, kind of Pinot Noir that I, than, than what I typically know. Um, and it's definitely, it feels a little bit more, um, not higher end, but a little bit more sophisticated than like a lot of Pinot Noirs that I've, that I've, um, drank. And like, I think one of you, I think it was Heather made a comment about like, um, like, what'd you say? You, you said that this was like a, this was a fancier bottle or whatever. Oh, yeah, you fancy on this or whatever you said. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it had a cork in it, but it's, but it does feel a little bit more sophisticated than, um, than what I am used to in a Pinot Noir or the, at least in the Pinot Noirs that I've typically drink. I definitely, I'm mostly picking up on the oakiness, but it's also soft. Like if that makes sense, um, as like as you're drinking it, it's it's soft on the tongue. Um, so much so that I'm worried that I might accidentally drink more than I should of it because I don't re- like. It's just really easy to drink. I, I feel that it is. It's definitely very easy to drink. When I saw that we were doing a Pinot Noir this week, I, I would. I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of like, I don't know if I'm gonna like this, but I like it way more than what I thought. It's very round. I do pick up on the oaky. I do pick up on like the floral. Um, I think it's it's easy to drink. You know especially for if it's some if you're not typically into like a red or especially like a pinot noir like this is definitely easy easy to drink yeah and i typically don't like pinot noirs y'all like i like I, everyone knows i'm a, I'm a cabernet girly and so um i am but i am still getting like like and so i will say what i'm not really loving about this wine is like that earthiness to it that that the, the description is talking about i'm getting that a little bit in the back like it's kind of like a it is very smooth. It's very round, like Michelle was saying, but then it's a little bit rougher in the back. Um, and that I'm not loving necessarily. And I feel like that's kind of what, what's throwing me off from like a typical Pinot Noir. I'm still I'm waiting my for like, you disagree. I'm waiting for the day where I'm like, I don't, I don't like this this week. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Honestly, I haven't had a wine yet 
I'm trying to think through my Rolodex. I feel like I've definitely, I, I feel like I probably have drank one that I've been like, Ooh, throw that away as soon as, as soon as I like, I am done with this episode. But there, I don't think I've had one where I'm like, I can't get through a single glass. You know what I mean? Because wines are just so different. Um, I will say though, there was one that we've drank so far on this episode um, that shall remain nameless um, that I, as soon as it was done, I was like, yeah, that's gonna be going down the drain no comment um no, nothing further on that thanks was it the rosé i i will be taking no further questions um let's talk about the crime yeah. of the week it was- <laughs> let's talk about the crime of the week i we y'all this i think i teased this one up last <laughs> week pretty well i think michelle right that like i we there was a lot to unpack here. I think this was a wallop of a case um, for sure. And I really, I want to know what y'all thought about, about this one. Cause I have so many thoughts and so many different, you know, theories and avenues. what did y'all think? I was really intrigued with the uh, Alonzo Brooks case. Like, because I, I thought, I kind of like, as I was listening to you guys, I was like, okay, I kind of see it going this way, but then it, it didn't. And me personally, I think, I think something happened. I think his body was frozen to be stored until they could figure out what was going on. Then I think the search happened and they kind of like freaked out, freaked out slash. We're like, okay, if there's going to be a time to like do something like now is it. And I think they drug his body to um, that Creek or that area where it was found. Like that's. Yeah. What I think. Yeah. I keep going back to that like frozen theory. Cause I'm like that, like that makes sense. It does. But like, I just don't like, I didn't see any evidence of that necessarily, but like the fact that the, but again, like in that episode of all unsolved mysteries, the coroner was like, or the pathologist was like, yeah, like this, like, like didn't seem to be willing to discount it all altogether because of what he saw. Um, which I, which gave me a little bit more hope a little bit, I guess that that may be a little bit of an explanation there. But so my question comes in with the issues that kind of came out after this with that medical examiner, Mm. you know, well, so, so. So to be clear, this is a different medical examiner than okay. the, the one that okay. was interviewed on the on the documentary is a different medical examiner than the one that was like a little weird, <laughs> a lot of weird. Okay, well then I'm glad that you clarified that. Um, and it also does like that that whole like second party like so when you guys were talking about that a little bit more towards the end of the podcast, like I had to kind of go back and listen to it again. Um, do you have any more? like that you can share about mm. that. Um, Cause that kind of no, like, no, I wish I did. And, and here's the thing that's like a little bit unclear at this point too, Michelle. Cause if you remember like at the beginning of the, of the, um, of the episode kind of, th- kind of almost they talked, they did actually talk about a second party that there were people who were, who, who left. Cause, cause that's, that was the whole thing with, with Alonzo and like the confusion potentially around who was his ride home, because there were a lot of people who went to a second party. And so the more I've thought about it and the more I've kind of mulled, milled this over, over since, since I recorded this episode, um, I'm not convinced entirely that that second party that we originally mentioned that has, that Alonzo's friends had gone to after is not the same party that, that investigators are talking about. And, and only because, because they didn't, because like the second party 
was very well known from the beginning of the, of this case. Um, and so, but they, when they talked about a, a, the, the this extra party that people had left and gone to allegedly this farmhouse, they did they they specifically mentioned it as a second party as opposed to a third party. You know, you know what I mean. And so that's why I think that there may be some confusion around like what like like what kind of parties were happening that night. Okay. Like it's it's a small town, right? How many right. parties can y'all really be having? Oh, listen, y'all. I grew. Y'all know where I grew up. Um, I, I grew up in this, and probably not as small of a town as Lacine, but um, more than you think. Let me tell you, more more woods parties, more farm parties than you would guess. Is all I have to say. Well, well, okay then. And I don't know if it's maybe it's just growing up a girl. Um, but his friends not keeping track of him, Alonzo, where it's like, there was definitely the one who was and was like, Hey, someone watch out for our, watch out for our boy here. Mm. But the other friends just leaving him behind. That's, I don't know. I know I wouldn't do that to any of my friends. Like, is that not yeah, something that no boys have to be concerned about? Like watching out for each other? Yeah. I mean, my only like guess there, Heather is like, is that there was just that much confusion slash alcohol being drank. You know what I mean? Is that like that, like just nobody, like I wouldn't be surprised if you like asked them in that moment, like what happened to that friend who got, who, whose car broke down on the side of the road. I, I would be willing to bet that most of those friends didn't even know that that had happened or that he had left at all. Uh, that, I mean, that's just my, just based on what I know about those types of situations. I, I do think Girls operate way, way different. You oh, yeah. know, I, I do. Unfortunately, I hate, I hate it, but because I am the type that if you're my friend, it doesn't matter, male or female, I'm going, I want to make, I want to hear from you from the end of the night to make sure that you got home or got to wherever right. or what the plan was. Um, but I, I do believe that that's a girl thing. Um, unfortunately, I think girls just, have more of the vulnerability, you know? Um, I don't know. That, in yeah. my experience, that's, that's. Yeah. Me. Well, yeah. Girls are just more aware of their surroundings. I feel like, because that's just how society has worked. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of you bringing me infuriating cases. Because uh, <laughs> either. <laughs> I live to piss you off. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, okay, well, fair because mutual, but <laughs> like more, I'm I'm hearing more and more cases specifically that I'm learning about from Crime Over Wine about people of color who it just doesn't make sense how their case ended up that way. Like they're mm -hmm. it shouldn't it shouldn't have been that way because yeah, either you searched thoroughly. Or there's someone who hid his body from you and then put it there. And it, right. the fact that they can't definitively be like, yep, that, that, that is what happened. Makes me think they're, they question their own search abilities. That's fair. That is fair. Cause you're right about that. That that's a really good point. Because if they, if they are so confident in their search, search abilities, then there wouldn't be a single question as to whether or not he was moved. Right. Because if they knew for a fact that the investigators searched that exact spot in the Creek, 
and search the creek thoroughly enough to know that the that the water didn't rise, then you should say for sure, yep, 110%, somebody moved that body. I don't know who did it, and so and we're going to find out who did, and they're involved somehow, but but that's what happened. You're you're right. And they and they should come out a lot more publicly if they are that confident in their in their search abilities. And I understand that law enforcement is really limited with what they can say during investigations because they don't ever want to say something that then can be used in court to dismantle all the hard work they have done. But at the same time, we currently live in a time where there is a distrust in police and law enforcement and that transparency is important. And when you do wrong, owning up to it. Right. Yeah, I also so and the more I've thought about this case, and I wanted to hear what y'all have to say about this, but talking about that friend who got his who whose car broke down, I have so many I have so many thoughts there, right? Because it just seems as though like the friend left, a fight breaks out, possibly more, racial slurs are are said, and during all this time, this friend, like all, all during the time that this friend happened to be broken down on the side of the road, that it was like the one friend who was supposed to take Alonzo home. Y'all know what I'm going like. It, it seems it seems a little too convenient that like this mis- this mystery happened during the one moment that or not one moment, but like during the time that like the one friend who was like actively looking out for Alonzo and like making sure he he got home safely was gone. I don't know. I I feel like every friend group has that one who is the responsible one, who is keeping the peace, who's keeping an eye out for everyone. Even if they've also been drinking, they have the maternal or paternal Mm -hmm. instincts naturally that it's like, okay, like we're going to break. We're going to separate this here. You need to go outside and calm down. And maybe he was Mm. that piece in the friend group. Yeah, that's fair. And he does strike me as that, too. Yeah, that makes sense. And kind of jumping off of that, maybe whoever was having beef with him sensed that that person that kind of capped that responsibility. You know, you you can kind of always sense when there's someone that has responsibility of a group, you know, maybe whoever that person was that did have beef, like sense that that safety person was gone. So if there was going to be a time to be mad, take advantage of the situation, Mm. that would be it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. I didn't really look at it like that. I was looking at it from the opposite of like, you know, that this happened while he was gone, not necessarily because he was gone, potentially. Um, that would make sense. Man, what a what's, <laughs> infuriating case, right? According to Heather, in the words of Heather Holly. But I mean, like, like important too, right? Because again, we're, we're in Black History Month right now. Again, we talked about this when we were talking about Yasmin Akri. Um, and it's important to talk about cases that, need help right because that need that you know that just um specifically of of people of color because they don't get a lot of the attention a a lot of times and this one i think would benefit from a lot of light from would benefit from a lot of sunlight you know natural sunlight disinfectant um and so i i i i'm convinced that there's someone out there who's holding on to some nugget in some way shape or form i feel like we need to find that person so i also wonder you know if if say there if there was like a some sort of racial undertone that night at the party you know especially with that fight that broke out i think also we should bring up you know 
is there a possibility that there was some sort of racial undertone regarding the people investigating the case and taking it seriously? Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. That, I mean, that that's, I mean, again, if we're going down the, down the rabbit hole of this was a, a bogus investigation that was not thorough and, and the search was not done properly, then you have to imagine that like that his race had something to do with it. Right. Because if, if he was laid out in plain sight and no one looked for him or no one was, was no one found him, you have to imagine that they probably weren't looking that hard that they, then they would have been looking for, you know, people who looked like, you know, Michelle Heather and I, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also how so. many people at that party were the children of law enforcement, a judge mm-hmm. or someone else who's best friends with 100%. them. Right. Yeah. And again, there's like weird things happening. Right. And, and, and then I go back to, and again, we've been talking about this for a long time. We have like a whole bunch of cases to talk about here. So we could, we could talk about this all day, but point being is like, is then we, then I go back to the fact that um, again, if you're going down the, down with the theory of that, that he was moved there after the, the searches had, had taken place. Remember when we talked about, about how that if he was moved there within it, like, again, because they found it within an hour that, that somebody must have been tipped off that this search was happening by the being done as being done by the volunteers. Right. Because if they really had been looking for him for weeks um, and the volunteers, the amateurs found him within an hour, that absolutely tells me that's that somebody was, was tipped off. Whoever was responsible, whoever had a, had an ear to the ground. And again, there were only a couple people who, who knew the search was happening and police were among them, uh, you know, and, and, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the owners of the home, the renters of the home probably were, were warned to a certain extent too. But yeah, no, but that's, but it's, it's a, that's a good point. I, I, Cause there's, there's some sort of connection there for sure. But let's um, let's get to our cases of the week. Um, we have cases on the other, just on the other side of this break, um, that are making headlines this week, um, including a car and remains that were found in a creek in North Carolina. But first, the remains of Joseph Augustus Zarelli were found 67 years ago in a wooded area in Philadelphia, as of this Friday, February 23rd. For years, he was only known as the boy in the box, but now he has his name back. If you know anything about his death, call the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-TIPS or 215-686-8477. You can hear Joseph's full story on episode 25 of Crime Over Wine. And this Saturday, February 24th, marks three years since city maintenance workers in Jacksonville, North Carolina, found Jenna Franks, a transgender woman who had been stabbed multiple times. If you know anything about her murder, call the Jacksonville Police Department at 910-938-6414 or the FBI at 704-672-6100, and you can listen to her full story on episode 26 of Crime Over Wine. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to BetterHelp.com slash CrimeOverWine. That's 
BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime over wine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. This week, investigators recovered a car and human remains in a Washington, North Carolina creek, likely sparking a breakthrough in a decades-old missing persons case. The vehicle was first spotted in Jags Creek with sonar footage. On February 9th, a dive team discovered a car axle and then the remnants of the car. Investigators say only the drivetrain components and parts of the frame are all that remain. The initial search of the submerged car led to the discovery of human remains as well. That's when officials started making a plan to recover the vehicle. They started pumping water out of the creek to help those recovery efforts, and this led to additional human remains being found and sent to the medical examiner's office for further testing. Police say the car parts they've recovered are consistent with a 1975 Chevrolet Camaro, which is what 24-year-old David McMicken, 32-year-old Michael Normal, and 30-year-old William Clifton were last seen driving when they disappeared in 1982. DNA is being collected from the remains to compare to the family of those men. However, Washington police are already confident this recovery is what will close this case. Wait, but they only found one person? They found remains, not necessarily full bodies. So I'm thinking if there's that little of the car left, how much can there be left of a human? I think that's fair, given the conditions, you know, being that there's water involved. And we're talking about since 1982. Yeah, so when they say human remains, I'm imagining bone, probably, and not put together. You're lucky to find a couple of bones, yeah. So do we know anything about the circumstances surrounding their disappearance they were just last seen driving the car they they went to a bar it was a december night um and they were last seen at the bar it was like an early morning hour so uh that's the car the three men were Mm. in that night um and i don't i don't know if this is an unfortunate instance of not a well-lit road or intoxication or whatever or how they ended up in the lake There was something similar that happened in Alabama, like literally within the last week or so, where there were three people like there that had gone missing. I don't know all of the circumstances, but then there was a a vehicle that was discovered in a creek. Granted, they hadn't been there for more than three decades, but um, one of the children of one of the men that was in the vehicle, like, recognized the coat as a coat that he gave his dad. Mm. Um, but I can't, it makes you wonder how, how deep was this Creek? What, how deep was the Creek? If the part of the axle or what, or yeah, part of the axle was discovered here recently. You know what I mean? Did the water so go the, down yeah. that far? So I used to live um, in the area, actually, kind of um, of Washington, North Carolina. Um, it's a very low, it's, it's coastal North Carolina. So that it's, it's, you know, it's lowlands. So I, I would imagine, you know, like, it's not necessarily what we're thinking of when we think of creeks in Tennessee. It's probably, they're probably pretty, at least, you know, more, slightly more significant um, in depth, I would guess anyways. Yeah, where the axle was found by the dive team was 12 to 15 feet deep. The naked eye isn't going to see that. You know what I mean? 
So definitely keep an eye out for updates on the confirmation of who these men are. But now, what do you have for us this week, Liam? Oh, so I have a case that we talked about last week. Um, the trial is playing out as we speak. Um, it's the case of against Brian Smith. Um, jury members watched the video that investigators say shows Brian strangling 30-year-old Kathleen Henry to death. Remember last week on Crime of Run Weekly, we told you how Smith's defense attorneys cast doubt on the credibility of that video, given how it was turned over to police. Also this week, the prosecution showed the jury photos of a skeleton in the fetal position, as well as video of Brian's interrogation, where he admitted to shooting another woman believed to be 52-year-old Veronica Abuchak. If you remember, in that interrogation, he admitted to shooting a woman and leaving her along a highway where Veronica's remains were later found. In that same interrogation... In that same interrogation, Brian claims that if he killed Kathleen Henry, he doesn't remember it. Brian Smith's trial will continue this week and could extend well into March. So just one of those cases, I mean, it's going to be tough, I think, probably for him to get out of a lot of the admissions that he that he made and a lot of the ways that he documented these murders. But um, and that's also, I feel like, pretty legitimate counters here too right because kind of uh, potentially and, and i didn't watch the video myself they didn't like put it anywhere um they only showed it to the jury um but the like if if we're talking potentially about a video where the chain of custody um is broken and is kind of murky here i could see where a defense attorney or, or someone could say well we don't know what happened right between between all of these hands that it was that it was you know turned over in um but also i mean again he is caught on camera pretty much flatly admitting and certainly not denying um two different murders so for me, that's not a great defense because it is up to investigators to authenticate that video before they're all like, yes, this is evidence. Mm, that's fair. And then also, how many times are we hearing at the end of the story, any news story where they're looking for information in a case, you can remain anonymous or whatever. If I can anonymously give them evidence, chain of custody shouldn't be an issue if that yeah, evidence is authenticated. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, and I have to imagine that, you know, it, it, certainly the, the Anchorage Police Department um, has, you know, um, you know, resources to be able to, you know, definitively say whether, you know, or not a video is, is legit or has been altered in some way, shape or form. I mean, that that data exists, right? I mean, like that leaves a trail of data um, behind in, in that process. So, to yeah, to that point. But also, I mean, again, last week, I mean, we talked about, you know, how, how advanced technology is becoming specifically with, with artificial intelligence. And so, I mean, is that enough? And again, specifically in Alaska, right, to to cast some doubt over this thing, right? Because I could see a lot of people who, again, it's a, it's a big, you know, very rural, vast state that's a little bit behind the times. I'll put it that way, um, you know, in a lot of different ways sometimes. Um, and so I could see a jury pool, you know, being able to be convinced that, um, that things, you know, may not be a hundred percent legit. You know what I mean? It's the same, I mean, it's the same thing in a lot of like rural parts of Tennessee. I could see a lot of rural parts of Tennessee, a lot of people in, who live in those parts of Tennessee, like being terrified of AI and not being sure because they're not educated on the, on the, on the, you know, on the uses or, or the sophistication of AI, um, 
I could see where, where they, where they may be able to, you know, to um, exonerate someone for that reason alone, depending on who your jury is. I think also looking into the, the length of this trial. So that this is mm. for something, um, th- this is a, a long trial in the world of yeah. trials. Um, and the fact that they're expecting it to continue another week and possibly into March. I mean, you're, you're looking at another two weeks. Uh, yeah. you're, you're lucky to have a, a trial last a week, let alone two weeks, you know? So, th- and, and I wouldn't consider this very high profile. You know what I mean? Maybe because of the location. I, I, I don't know, but I, I wonder, okay, well, if they're already projecting into the next week or so, um, what, what more is there to, to go? So maybe does yeah. the prosecution have more to call, like more to prove? Because I feel like it, the the evidence is going to be your your biggest element here, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and and two couple things there. I would definitely argue it's pretty high profile in Anchorage, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not maybe not nationwide. Um, I would definitely argue that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say because a lot of what we talked about already seems pretty incriminating in terms of like what he says on interrogation videos and all that stuff. But I also learned through um, you know reading about what this video was like that it doesn't actually show Brian's face. Um, it's actually it's more of like a POV shot. Um, which is which is interesting because that's not how I read it initially. That it's it's like his hands, if that makes any sense, or or s- someone's hands, you know, allegedly Brian's hands. Um, and so that's that's kind. Of, I find that kind of interesting because it's it's you know it doesn't specifically identify him, but I think it leads a lot to the ima- leaves a lot to the imagination for sure. So, like whoever the person is that did like the person that did this was taking the video as they were doing it. Is that kind of what you're describing? Correct. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But it also yeah. makes me wonder, you know, kind of talking about the length of trial, you know, d- like who, who all does the defense have on tap? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they, they get yeah. their time. And so, yeah, maybe they do have a, a ton of witnesses that are going to, you know, that are going to dispute what the state says. All right, Michelle, what you got this week? This case continues to captivate people from all over, including us. We're talking about Adam Montgomery. He is that father that's accused of beating his five-year-old daughter, Harmony Montgomery, to death in the back of the car they were living in and then hiding her body in multiple places before disposing it where essentially we don't know. Her body has never been found. It took two years just for her to be reported missing. This is a tragic case. I think you guys will agree. The The more that I watch and I learn and listen to the testimony, my heart goes out to this little girl. I mean, it is tragic. I've been I've been watching the the trial play out all week. I mean, the testimony is, I mean, gut wrenching. There's no there's no words for for what has played out in trial this week, as far as I'm concerned. It's you. It's safe to say um, the testimony's been horrific. A lot of it has centered around Kayla Montgomery. Um, if you're on TikTok or social media and you've come across it, you've probably seen this dark haired girl. Um, kind of describing just these 
gut-wrenching details that that's Kayla and if you're kind of wondering like her piece in this puzzle because there's a lot going on she is Adam Montgomery's estranged wife not Harmony's biological mother but she's also the state's star witness and so that's why she's endured so many hours of testimony cross-examination, all being on the stand. Essentially, that's what this entire week has been, even parts of last week. Um, she is, she's is she been a huge part of this case, uh, just about what she witnessed, what she knew about Harmony, her death, what happened to her remains thereafter, um, and a lot of it centered around hiding her body um, because this wasn't something that just kind of happened quickly they uh it sounds like through her testimony that adam went through great lengths to hide her body um even where they were staying in like a family transition shelter and he was hiding her remains in a the the ceiling of the shelter and then when it started to smell and there were fluids because the body was decomposing then he moved the body and moved it to a freezer at a pizza shop where he worked and then moved it again we don't know where because her her body and her remains have never been found um but just absolutely heart-wrenching details to sit and have to have to listen to um and the fact i mean this is a a very high profile case there was a a witness yesterday that uh when i say yesterday i mean thursday she refused to take the stand even though she had been subpoenaed she cited the the safety of her and her children saying she was fine if they issued a warrant for her arrest and I think that really goes to show just the pressure that uh, that comes with this high profile case here. You know, that there are people that are afraid for their own safety and the safety of their family for what they might potentially know or witnessed about what happened to Harmony. Yeah, and there, oh God, I feel sick to my stomach, first of all. Um, but second of all, like the, so you talk about the, the Kayla, um, they, you know, she even said at some point in her testimony, I saw it on, on some, on some videos about this case, um, where she was talking about where, where Adam forced her to, to transport the body, um, her harmony, um, in a, in a, um, uh, stroller mm -hmm. um and she was talking about how the um who how like how she only how she did that they asked her they were like why did you why did you follow through on this and she was she said that she was terrified um because of because she didn't know what what was going to happen and man i mean i just like being put in that position obviously i can never imagine it i feel like you can say that over and over and over again when it comes to these kind of cases but I mean, that kind, like, to to take part in it personally is, I mean, how do you sleep? You know what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Again, assuming that's that's what happened, man, I, I couldn't imagine. The details really have been very hard to hear, um, but it, at the same time, a jury deserves to know 
You know what I mean? If if they have to make a decision, right. they deserve to know ex- exactly what happened so they can make the appropriate decision. Yeah. And who they're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess what he was her father and these people that are scared of him, what else has he done? Because I'm sorry, if you're murdering a child, you are picking one of the weakest victims. They cannot defend themselves. You're a coward and you're weak, in my opinion. Don't be scared of him. Do what needs to be done so he gets the punishment he deserves and Harmony gets the justice she deserves. I think there's a a big piece of justice here that Harmony deserves, definitely. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And and that's what, um, you know, again, kind of... um, you know, like gets me, I guess, in a lot of different ways is like the, um, is like the helplessness of a child. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't like, I thought I can think about this all the time with the Mariah Woods case, right. Where that we talked about, we talked about in episode six, where it was like, she, like, she couldn't even walk, like could barely even walk on her own. And like, it's the same thing. It's almost, I mean, like, this is not, I mean, she's not much, you know, younger than, 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 um, than uh, Mariah was, um, you know, she's slightly more able, I suppose, but it's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I I just can't imagine why I would, I want to, I would love to hear what kind of rationale he convinced himself of to, to do this. If he did indeed do this right again, because trial is still going on, but man. Harmony was five, right? Yes. So my son just turned six and thinking about, how much a child at that age depends on you and comes to you and trusts you. You're their whole world. They depend on you for everything. So the the violation of that trust for someone that you created, who you're their entire world, and you're supposed to be providing their future and you took everything away from them, there's there's nothing to justify that. Like, I know accidents happen, crimes of passion happen, that doesn't make them excusable, but the the amount of effort that allegedly went into this to keep her death hidden and to where her body's never been recovered is unforgivable and inexcusable. Yeah, and also too, I mean, because one of you two mentioned this before, this is not this is certainly not the first time that some sick action took place inside that home. Right. Again, assuming that Adam did indeed do this, um, this is, there are certainly other things to be discovered um, about goings on inside the house um, in terms of, you know, abuse, assault, whatever it may be. Um, And I think that that needs to come to light too. And that's been a lot of Kayla's testimony You know, I think that's why she's been so important to the state here is she has shared so much as to what she witnessed, what she endured herself. Um, There was definitely a lot of um, reports of physical abuse, um, not only to Harmony, but also with Kayla herself. And that's why she she says she was so afraid to do anything you know, whether you believe her or not, you know, that that's your, anyone can say that, but I mean, it makes you wonder what would the state's case look like if she wasn't up there releasing all of these details that she knows. They probably wouldn't have much of a case, frankly, Mm -hmm. man. 
All right. When we come back from the break, we have three missing persons cases for you, including a Valentine's Day mystery, one involving a birthday party, and also a mother of five from North Carolina. But first, this past Saturday, February 17th, marked six years since Ryan Stuka disappeared in Sun Peaks, British Columbia. If you know anything, call the Kamloops Royal Canadian Mounted Police at 1-800-222-8477 and hear his full story on episode 53 in Crime Over Wine. Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at Study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, Study.com. Hello, Crime Over Wine listeners. I am Rachel. And I'm Heather. We are the hosts of Like Mother, Like Murder. We bring you the good, the badass, and the crime. Each week, we bring you stories from missing and murdered to survivors and women who empower you. And of course, some mom talk sprinkled in. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Like Mother, Like Murder. And give us a follow on social media so that we can say hi. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. So this week, I have a case about a missing person that took place over Valentine's Day. Um, it was um, a nine-year-old girl named Asia Degree. And this past Valentine's Day marked 24 years since she was last seen. She went missing from Shelby, North Carolina. Police say that Aisha went missing from her bedroom sometime between 2.30 and 6.30 in the morning on February 14th of 2000. There was no sign of forced entry into the home, and police dogs have never been able to pick up on her scent. Investigators did receive tips that she had been seen walking along a highway between Shelby and Falston, North Carolina, around four that morning. But when at least one witness turned around to check on her, she ran off into the woods. More than a year after Aisha went missing, a local store owner called police when they found a backpack buried behind a tool shed that they owned. The backpack belonged to Aisha, but inside the bag was a book that Aisha had checked out from the school library and a new Kids on the Block t-shirt that Aisha's parents are confident did not belong to her. As of 2020, Aisha's mother said that she believed Aisha was still alive. Since she was reported missing, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office received more than 700 tips related to her disappearance, but none of those tips has resulted in a specific location for where Asia may be. If you know anything about Asia's disappearance, call the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office at 704-484-4822 or contact the FBI at tips.fbi.gov. There is a $45,000 reward for information that leads to Asia's location. And y'all, like, the backpack situation floored me when I, I wish y'all could have seen my face when I first read that. I, I, like, how, for, for, I have so many questions. I, I, again, I don't even really understand how the, like, store owners found this backpack, but, like, okay. But the fact that there were 
there were belong because they did say for sure like when they first were were investigating Aisha's case um they were saying that it looked as though she had like packed up because her backpack was gone and stuff um but the fact that then it was found with stuff that did not belong to her blows my mind I just wonder what are the reasons as to why a nine-year-old would want to leave like their home you know what I mean yeah. I, I get that that is you know a thing I get it but I think kind of looking into the reasons as to why if, if she did pack up something, um, what, what are the reasons as to why that would surround that? I think that's a big question. Yeah. I think the obvious answer in my opinion, anyways, is like, she probably didn't leave. I, I feel like, like, I think that there, like, it's pretty clear. I think potentially that, you know, maybe at first she, you know, wandered off in some way she performed, but then also I think about like the car turning around and going to go, like talk to her and then her running off like that tells me that maybe she was a little she was scared of something or someone whose t-shirt is that is important you know it, it could be you know is it a perpetrator or is it another victim mm-hmm. yeah i mean if it's the right size for asia but not hers does that mean is it a trafficking situation and there was another child mm-hmm. who had it on at some point like right Right. And why was it buried where it was? Is my I mean, why was it buried at all, obviously, but why was it buried where it was is kind of interesting. Like I'm sure they had to look into those store owners, but like I wonder like who knew that that little space was back there. You know what I mean? And in 2000 you had no surveillance cameras on the exterior of your store that that caught anything? Well, it was like so it was behind a tool shed kind of area. So that that's I'm assuming that you don't have a uh, camera back there um so it, but it, it seemed it sounded like to me it was like fairly well hidden and also too it was a year later when they found it um and so most things back there like the cloud didn't exist it was like tapes that you had and so i'm sure they were thrown away if they still had them at all a year after she went missing or they think that backpack was there for a year before it, they found it they found it a year after she went missing so she could have been out there for almost a year and had recently left it there if she is still alive and yeah well yeah it, it could have hypothetically been placed there anytime between you know when she went missing in february and i think this was found in like august of 2001 if i remember correctly or sometime like it was a little more than a year after she went missing and so it hypothetically could have been put there anytime between those two points all right michelle what she got this week so my case this week is something that is literally going on minute by minute. We're talking about Chalice Angel Welch. She's 24 years old, out of Dallas. She was last seen on February 3rd. She wasn't miss- She wasn't reported missing until February 12th. She's a mother of four. And what happened the night that she went missing, she went to a birthday party at a hotel. You know, essentially, I think... A young mom, especially a four, she deserves a night to relax. You know what I mean? Have fun with her friends. And friends of hers saw her leaving that night with an unknown man. She hasn't been seen or heard from since. But what we do know is that she left a jacket and other items at the hotel. And her phone was last pinging at the hotel. Now, her family says she would never leave her children. And to help kind of put this into perspective for you, 
she missed her youngest child's first birthday. That happened just a couple of days ago. So uh, what mother would would really do that willingly? You know what I mean? Think about that. Her family believes that her phone had been tampered with. And the reason why they believe that, they won't go deep into the details, but they say that the service provider is telling them that her phone had been tampered with. So if hmm. you have any information, call the Irving Police Department. Again, this is out of Dallas, Texas. That phone number, 972-273-1010. And this is for Jalise Angel Welch, 24 years old, last seen on February 3rd in Dallas. So do, is it possible because – so they said that the phone was last pinged at the hotel that she was at. Is it possible that that is what they think was tampered with? Or like, I, I guess that, that the, the phone tampering is, is something I'm interested in. Don't know if someone has the ability to tamper with how a phone pings, but I do wonder if maybe calls or text messages may have been deleted from the phone. You know what I mean? So think about it. You can delete things from a phone, but if you if you pull like the report from the actual provider, that's going to show things that you you can't delete something from the actual report. So right. that's just my opinion. Mm. That's kind of what I'm thinking, but it could be enough to show, you know, you know, if the the phone that the family has and the report that the provider has, and if they're not matching up, then there is potentially some tampering there. Then that it, that could be evidence to police, especially later on. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. If if like if that's if that's what we're talking about, the that something might have been deleted. Um, that would make a solid, a solid amount of sense to me because then, we'll, like, if like text, me- like, how would a how would a phone um, phone carrier be able to tell for sure? Um, you know, where, like, like what kind of text messages were sent by somebody else, or what kind of phones were phone calls were made by somebody else. So that makes sense. I am kind of curious though, because the fact that her phone, like, they made note that her phone was last pinged at the hotel and I, maybe I'm fixating on this a little bit too much, but it just seems cause then, cause then she's seen leaving. I guess that's, that's what I'm like, what I'm fixating on is that if she's seen leaving the hotel and then, or maybe this, maybe it's happened before or, or whatever that, that, that the phone was, was last pinged at the hotel. Like how do you, how do you go off with a, with, with some man, with some guy and not bring your phone with you? You, you, you know what I mean? I, I can see that possibly, you know, maybe they were going to get some cigarettes or maybe something to drink or maybe even they were hungry and they were going to go pick up yeah, some and then food come back. and maybe her phone was charging. So she was like, you know, this is just going to be really quick, you know, because I, I could see someone leaving like a jacket and like personal items. So I'm probably assuming like some keys. Like if you truly think that you're just going to kind of go out and come back then you don't have any reason to bring everything with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And we're and like, we're definitely in the, in the assumption mode here for sure. But then maybe also, I mean, just the fact that she's 24 or her, her, she has four kids. Maybe she just wanted to leave the phone behind. I mean, I, I'm telling you, like I had to turn my phone off many times this week because my phone would not stop ringing and I don't even have four kids. So maybe she was just like, you know what, like, I'll just leave this here because, you know, kind of what you're saying, I'll be right back and nobody, and I'll just, you know, and just because I don't, I want to 
you know, enjoy myself for 30 minutes without having to worry about whether or not my babysitter is going to call her or, or whoever is watching your kids. And I think you bring up a good point. You know, a mother is always going to wonder about her children. So I think, you know, she wouldn't have if she didn't know that she wasn't going to be right back there. I don't mm. think she she would have left that lifeline, yeah, you know, to her kids. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But then also, too, I mean, I see all these cases all the time about, like, moms who just, like, need a break. You know what I mean? That just need, like, an evening to themselves. And, like, let and that's when you, their guard is let down. So, I mean, who knows who this guy is? Um, you know, someone probably does out there. But it seems as though that that's kind of part of the situation here is that, you know, Chilise's, you know, guard was just let down for one night because she needed it. I don't know, because, like the the mom guilt is real because you know you need that time alone and you need that time out because you can't pour from an empty cup you got to take care of yourself but i know when i do go out i i feel so guilty for not being right there with my kids so i will have the phone even if i know i need that time away so that voluntarily leaving the phone even if it's just for a minute isn't something i could do as a mom yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of where I land too. Like you never know when your kids n- need you. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting weird feelings about this one. I mean, I guess it's also possible that like if he was if if she left with an unknown man, like maybe they came back. You, you know, to to Michelle's point, like maybe she was maybe they just went to go get cigarettes and were coming back to the hotel to do whatever. So like maybe maybe that's when the phone pinged. You know, so I think that that I, I would like I would be point being I would be interested to know what time that ping, that ping happened. I think that's fair. All right, Heather, what do you have for us this week? Oh, my case I feel is eerily similar to yours, Michelle. Uh, Marissa Carmichael is a 25 year old mother of five from Greensboro, North Carolina. She went missing January 14th after calling 911 from a gas station. Marissa told dispatchers a man stole her phone and she was stranded there and needed help. When an officer arrived moments later, Marissa wasn't anywhere in the area. This week, police released new details in the search for Marissa, saying surveillance video shows her getting into a man's car. Police say they have identified and interviewed him, and he's only considered a witness at this point. Investigators won't comment on if they suspect foul plays involved, but did issue a statement earlier this month saying they were becoming, quote, increasingly concerned for her welfare. Marissa's family spoke to ABC this week, saying they're devastated and they believe she's being held against her will. Marissa Carmichael is described as a biracial woman with long black and blonde braids. She's 5'4 and has a heart and butterfly tattoo on her face. She was last seen wearing a white tweedabur shirt, blue jeans, and yellow sneakers. If you know anything about Marissa Carmichael's whereabouts, call the Greensboro Crime Stoppers at 336-373-1000. I really worry about this with her saying that a man stole her phone and that she was stranded. Yeah, so, um, and this was in an early hour of the mornings between 2 and 4 a.m. in that time frame. And she coincidentally had also been at a party that night and had told her friends not to tell her mom because she didn't want her to worry about her. Or no, she went to a club and then an after party at an Airbnb. Um, and it was the Airbnb where the person who and was supposed to give her, she was supposed to get a ride from there and ended up 
being stranded at the gas station and her phone stolen. See, that's a lot. That's a lot going on there. Yeah, that is a lot. And I guess I'm wondering, like, the fact, I don't know, and, may, and is this, it was this, like, them specifically saying that there may or may not be foul play involved, or is that just, like, like have they're saying that they just that they just haven't said one that was the them declining to comment after they released the new tales this week um about mm-hmm. identifying inter- interviewing the man who whose car she was seen getting into that's so interesting and also the fact that they only like what else don't what else do they know that they haven't shared if the per if the last person she was seen with is only considered a witness or are they just saying that to like not get like let him on let them know that let him know that they're that they're on to him maybe because it was the no foul play was one of those kind of generic cop answers of it's an ongoing case we can't comment on that it's not a crime to for someone to get into your car um and so yeah, just speaking with that last person will at least give them a couple more details to point them in the direction as as to where she may be. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Yeah, and then regarding her phone, um, it has been turned off since that night. So either the battery's dead or mm. the person who allegedly stole it in the first place turned it off when they did. And her mom also says that Marissa is an avid social media user and none of her accounts have been touched since that night. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think that says a lot for sure. Again, we talk all the time about like, you know, normal behaviors for somebody and that, you know, clearly her normal behaviors are, are altered. So, um, and so, so to be clear, a hundred percent. So they, call, she called 911 from the gas stations because, specifically because someone stole and her she's phone. stranded and she, she asked for help. To get help getting home. Okay, and but by the time an officer got there, she yeah, and there. it was a maybe five minute window there. <sighs> yeah, but that is something that has infuriated her mother. Um, that she talked about this week of much like Zoe's episode, uh, Alonzo. She mm. called police saying she needed help. They went out there, didn't see anything, didn't think anything of it, went about their day. When she wasn't there the next morning, her mom knew that wasn't right and went to police. And they told her she had to wait 48 hours to file a missing person report. Oh, my God. And so by then, it's the middle of the week. And at this point, her mom had already started her own investigation. Oh, my God. I that Listen, we all know how I feel about the stupid 24-hour rule. The bogus-ass 48-hour rule is ridiculous ridiculous i mean who who why is that the magical time frame for when people decide to come back in from being missing i mean that doesn't make any fucking sense but and but also so it's sure that much but like also like like going back to the original thing about like how like how they showed up and she wasn't there and so they went about her life like i think about all the times that like officers how many times a night do do officers respond to a call and it turns out to be nothing so like that's sure okay cool for me as far as i'm concerned um but like the like that oh my god that doesn't make any sense the fact like you're gonna you're gonna tell them to wait two full days yeah when somebody is simply gone and i think what her and also nothing either sorry i have to say this heather only because like on top of that too like the fact that you like you know that she called for help because somebody stole her shit 
And that's that's what I was gonna say is I think that that is it's not that police did respond and responded in a timely manner, like within the national average, um, from what's being reported here. Sure. And that they didn't find her. It's that I came to you the next morning saying my daughter's still not home. She called you for help last night right. and you, she wasn't there. So we need to elevate this because something's not right. And they're like, yeah. mm, come back in two days. <laughs> Man, see if she just got to turn back up in two days. The, I've, I'm warm think, uh, talking about this. I'm warm. Yeah, it, it has um, like all the elements of the things that infuriate us in all those cases of Asking the family right. to wait when they know something's wrong. Is it not being taken seriously enough? Are they not looking hard enough? Um, she's a biracial woman. Is that playing into right. any of the coverage? Or And um, the family has started a GoFundMe in hopes to hire a private investigator hoping to get further in finding her. Because they clearly they can't trust the the their own local police department to do it the right thing, and I don't blame them. I really get this sense of like I feel like we should do some sort of special episode of like what should people do if they find a loved one in a in a situation? You know what I mean? Because. You know, what? what is the standard? Here we are, like, here we've talked about how many cases these last three weeks, and we, and it's been, the timeline is different for every single one. Like, do you wait 24 hours? Do you wait 40, 48 hours? Do you wait any hours when you're reporting someone missing? You know, like, kind of what should a loved one or, or just someone who knows something isn't right, what, what should they do on their side? And then what... I, I think that something like that would be really valuable yeah. um, and helping yeah. get that out into the the public. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say, you know, again, my, my paranoid ass, you know, will report someone missing, you know, like if they're five minutes outside of their normal, you know, behaviors, like Heather was a little bit late to this recording this morning. No offense, Heather, I'm not coming after you. I'm just saying, but the, but and I was getting ready to call police. I was close to calling police because Heather was a little bit late. And so I'm fine. Like, I like, cause Heather is never late to anything. And so I was like, that's, that's just how, that's just how my brain goes. And so I'll always, you know, I'll, again, I'll, just i'll just always say to the end of time if someone if you are out there and someone in your life is one step out of their normal behaviors call somebody right like that's what i have to say and don't take no for an answer i mean don't like do not let people deny you the right you know or, or the the ability to to get an investigation started here i'm like I, again i'm getting warm just thinking about this because things could have gone so much so differently if police just did their damn job from begin to begin with here so i hope i frankly i hope someone from greensboro police department is listening to this because somebody needs to um needs needs to be held accountable here because something something's not right well heather you're gonna have to keep us updated on marissa's case um because i'm interested i'm into it um please let us know as soon as possible um and also again another another little plug to follow us on social media because that's i mean if we're not going to wait a whole week to tell you if there's an update in our case we're going to post it on our social media pages first um so follow us on crime over wine on facebook twitter and instagram follow you know michelle and heather and myself on all of our social media p- platforms because that's where that's where we stay the most active we only post episodes here once a week but we are on the social medias every single day Man, what a 
what an episode i we and we're an hour and a half in y'all um from the raw recording um and man i think we could probably have even more to talk about these cases for sure yeah and i i don't know if it's the pinot noir or the rage fueling us at injustice but we're all a little hot here and yeah. uh we really we I think there's another podcast um, episode started of just us like screaming into the abyss about these cases. Yeah. So before we get started on that, let's go ahead and say goodbye here. <laughs> That's, fair. That's uh, fair. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you can't get enough of Crime Over Wine, follow us all on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next Sunday for the next episode of Crime Over Wine Weekly. And we'll see you this Wine Wednesday for your regularly scheduled episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.